time for a WeChat workout. WeChat. Go, go, go to the Cliff Central account. Tap connect. Then message to show. On radio. On radio. More of the good stuff. Cliffcentral.com. It's Thursday. It's one. Which means it's time for Between Two Femmes. Sadly, it's just one femme, me, Aspasia Karis, because my partner in crime, Mabali, where are they? Where are they exactly? Sun City. They're in Sun City, I've been told by Duncan, who is sitting here trying to produce me, and I'm so terribly, terribly invasive. I try and bring him in so that I can have somebody to have a conversation with. I have, in fact, got somebody delightful to have a conversation with. It is our new sexologist, sex columnist, Catriona Boffard. Is that right, Catriona? That's that's a hundred percent right. She was saying earlier that she feels offended by her parentals who introduced <laughs> the word Catriona into her life, and I said, "What should I say about mine?" They called me Aspasia. Forgot it. <laughs> not offended, just difficult for people. Oh, okay, good. You're not offended. <laughs> not at all. I love she it. She was introducing herself as Katrina to people, so it's sometimes awful. makes it easier. You just lose one of the syllables. Yeah, exactly. One vowel, one, one vowel, vowel less, mm-hmm. and it it works better. Anyway, no, I was I was frequently offended in my youth. I was like, "Oh my word." Yeah, it's terrible. Why did you do this to me? But now I delight in it. I exactly. In it. Nobody's uniqueness. forgetting it. Exactly. Nobody can spell it. No, exactly. <laughs> Nobody can find me on Twitter. No, exactly. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, if you do want to find me on Twitter, actually on that note, it's A-S-P-A-S-I-A, K-A-R-R-A-S, people. And Catriona, how do they find you on Twitter? Same. It's C-A-T-R-I-O-N-A and my surname Buffard, B-O-F-F-A-R-D. That out the way. <laughs> it's probably time for the woman's news. And we're going to start with, um, because my belly is not here, so we don't have the proper news jingle. We intervene with my own jingle. There you go, because it's the woman's news. And we start off this week with, um, I don't know if anyone has paid any attention to the DA sex gate and the fact that there's been not enough coverage, according to Twitter, um, by the mainstream media on this particular DA sex gate. And the, this week, and this is why it's very important um, in light of the women's news, the Gender Commission, the South African Gender Commission, weighed in and said that they feel they're not prepared to allow the DA sex gate to just get swept under the, I don't know, cobwebs of politicking. They want to engage with it. They want to understand what is going on in the upper echelons of the DA because according to this anonymous email, or was it anonymous? I think it was. The The email suggested that... Um, the top echelon is having a wild old time with various women within uh, its ranks. And then when they tire of them, they dispose of them. Sad news. And so South Africa's Gender Commission feels this is very important. I don't know if they actually weighed in at all on um, the most recent spate of female killing. The husband, well, I mean, the alleged husband murder plot of Jade Panayatu, but that also caused a great deal of Twitter drama last week. But that is not my second point on the women's news. The second point is the hashtag 
Read My Lips. And it is a campaign that is going viral on the Internet. Women are being encouraged to, you know, put on beautiful red lipstick and then take a selfie and post it to the Internet with the hashtag Read My Lips. And where it started from was a woman called Danielle Townsman who was raped at 29 and told by the, 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 the court that really she, and she's an American, that judges and juries do not like girls who drink. And so she has become a campaigner to challenge victim blaming and rape culture, having experienced it herself. Um, and so paint your lips red, hashtag red my lips and take a picture and support this very important campaign because it's something that we suffer from excessively in South Africa as well. And the final point on the women's news, it's really so much better when I do this with my belly because then we have a little conversation. Uh, Catriona, feel I'm free gonna, to chip in. Sure, of course. <laughs> I will absolutely chip in. That Red My Lips campaign is great. It Bring is. More yeah. awareness. Absolutely. And finally, um, Dublin in Ireland. On the 22nd of May, they are actually holding a same-sex marriage referendum. And they are the first country to be holding it. Because usually in, in countries where same-sex gets le- same-sex marriages gets legalized, um, through the, the court cases and the judicial process, and there's, there's, they don't put it out to referendum. So it's a huge thing in Ireland because really the last, um, major thing that they did was that they decriminalized gay sex in 1993, which is oh. pretty late in the day. That's very late. And, I mean, I think that's the about the year they also said you could get divorced from each other. <laughs> so, like, the <laughs> Irish exactly are... progressive, are they? No, the Irish are, like, sort of... And, and it, it brings a lot of very interesting questions to bear. I mean, is it... Mm. Um, the, the church and the separation of church and state, because really Absolutely. this is about Catholicism. Mm. And so, but, but what I'm, um, really focusing on is a picture. It's a kiss between two women that has gone viral and they're kissing beneath a guy who looks quite angry. I might say he's got a beard and he's very angry and he's holding a big protest sign saying, vote no. Mm. Um, and these two are having a fine old snog and it has a picture that has gone viral and is actually very moving and I loved it and I thought it's very interesting. It's very powerful, I think. It is powerful. But you know, we, I mean, South Africa, we probably have some of the most progressive reproductive and sexual health rights in the world. And Ireland is a first world country, supposedly, or a developed country as they call it. So, you know, it says a lot, I suppose, about the state, the church, the, all that stuff, all that stuff. And we are going to delve into all this like sort of sexy stuff right now. Um, we are asking people to send us questions because, I mean, Catriona is here to ask them anything. Any sex and questions. And actually I hashtagged my post with like on, on Twitter, AMA, for your information people, that means ask me anything. <laughs> And I've heard everything, so really, you can ask anything. Yes. So we are opening it up to all sorts of questions, and I think we should open up with the first question, which was asked by um, a Marie Claire reader, who said um, she wants to do some sort of introduce sex toys mm-hmm. into her, her routine, routine. Mm. and how does she do this? 
Um, and I thought this was a very good question to start with because um, apparently I think that despite the fact that we have progressive legislation, mm. we're quite a conservative We're very society. conservative. Yeah, we're exceptionally conservative. And it is a good question because it's a question I get asked often. And also not only how do I introduce it to my partner, but where do I start? You know, there's so many bells and whistles out there and swings and ropes and this and that. And what do I actually start with? And how do I suggest to my partner I want to bring in something extra? Joan, I have to tell you a small story, like a small aside. A certain boss of mine (laughs) decided to start a sex toy company. Okay. Not so long ago, which she called, um, anyway, and she would introduce the particular sex toys and the models, which were really cute. But like, there we are having a meeting and suddenly there's like a dildo on the table. And I'd be like, well, that's very nice. It was unexpected. Thank you. It escalated yes. quickly. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, sex toys these days don't really look like sex toys anymore. They're, no, kind, they're of, kind of cutesy. They're kind of cute and pretty and silver and pink and purple. And I mean, there's, you can get little matte black ones with Swarovski crystals on them and you get 24 karat gold sex toys. They don't look like sex toys. I mean, there's even a range of, Sex toys for the bath called I Rub My Ducky, which are vibrating (laughs) rubber ducks. ducks, And they come in a range of themes and colors and countries and all sorts of things. So forget that scene in Pedro Almodovar's film. And I can't remember which one it was. But this is the only scene with the sex toy, I think, that like has opened a major like sort of film. Mm -hmm. She's lying in the bath in a small... um, He's like a sort of robotic diver. It <laughs> <laughs> swims up, <laughs> swims up, and then pleasures her. I was like, <laughs> no, exactly. It's very unexpected these days. What what sex toys are? You would never expect it because people have this very phallic idea in their mind of what a sex toy actually looks like. But it doesn't look like that at all uh, these days. I was at um, a sex shop recently, a woman's sex shop, and. They, they were showing me sort of the new ones they've got in and I couldn't believe, you know, the, 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 uh, the touch of them, how soft they are, how sort of gentle they seem, how unsex toy-like they are. So to get to the question. Yes. The how leader, to talk about the it. The Marie Claire reader. How, how? So I always say to people, them? regardless of sex toys or sex positions, when it comes to sex, it's really more about how you say it, not what you say. And so you want to do a few things, I would say. You want to think about what, what it is that you want to try. Do you, have you read Fifty Shades of Grey and you all of a sudden want to introduce, I don't know, whipping and bondage into your relationship? <laughs> or is it that just you, you need a little bit of, frankly, because it, uh, everyone's you know, doing it now. It, well, you, everyone wants to do it or is thinking about doing it, but not necessarily to the extreme levels of uh, Anastasia Steele and Christian Grey. But were they actually doing extreme levels? We ran an article. Where the girl had to try everything. Yeah. For um, all the sex positions in Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, not the whole trilogy because that would have been very hard for her. (laughs) Difficult. But she had to do it in a weekend with her boyfriend. Oh, and it's not that hard to complete all of those tasks. Well, what she basically concluded was. No, it was hard because you needed, like, because of the time frame. Sure. It was the weekend. Sure. And only one weekend. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> essentially most of those positions, apart from, like, the small whipping, etc., were actually missionary, yep. which I found so interesting mm. because I think that was actually the point of Fifty Shades of Grey. It was a love story, actually. 
at the end a of the love day. story, but ultimately also quite tame. No, very tame. But I mean, pretending not to be. No, tame. I mean, if you were to go into a traditional um, BDSM club or a fetish club. Um, have you been in one of them? I have been into one in Sydney. I, uh, when I did my masters, in in, so I did my masters in Sydney. We went into a club um, in Sydney, and it's an experience. You don't have to participate. And, and as, as master students, I suppose we weren't there on a on a field trip. We went there one evening as a, just a few of us just to go and see what it was about. Because one of the girls doing our course was actually a photographer at the club. And um, it's fascinating just to see people's behavior. And as I said, you don't have to participate. You can participate. You can watch. You can talk to people. But it's very, very different from what you're seeing on a Fifty Shades of Grey movie or in the book, what you're reading. In what way is it different? Much more hardcore. Much more pain is involved. Really? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Much more submission and domination. And it's this... And also I have to say that, I mean, I do have to point this out to, to the listeners that Anastasia Steele and, and Christian Gray's physiological response during sex is quite rare. They are the exception, not the rule. What do you mean? So men, once they've climaxed, have to recover. They've got, they've got what's called a refractory period. That can be anywhere from a few minutes to a week to a month, depending on his age and how much sex he's having. And a woman is very rare that any woman will climax. What do you mean? If he's having a lot of sex, does he? If he's having a lot quickly? of sex, absolutely, the recovery time goes down. But and if he's not, if then he's not, then his recovery time is going to be longer. That so, is fascinating. yeah, the more sex he has, both masturbation and by himself, um, uh, by <laughs> masturbation and with a Which partner, tends to be by himself, yes. although it doesn't have to. No, exactly. You know, sex toys, which exactly. we're getting back onto. Exactly. Um, and her her <laughs> physiological response is um, is also a little bit abnormal. Very few women will climax like she does. Eighty five percent of women need clitoral stimulation to climax, and just from missionary position, it's unlikely you're going to get that clitoral simulation. So this is where sex toys can come into it because they can give that little bit of added stimulation that a woman's really looking for. Um, and so when you're talking to your partner about it, first you need to decide what it is that you want to try. And I would always say start slow and work your way up. Don't just, you know, suggest anal plugs straight off the bat. That's not a great idea. Um, I would always do that. Always prepare what you want to say. And then also think about the time and the place that you want to talk to them about it. Don't talk to your, your husband over the dinner table with your kids there. And don't talk to I would say that that could be quite tricky. Yeah, very Darling. tricky. Then you've got to explain. You've got to have the conversation with the kids. Um, or, you know, don't do it when your friends are around. Do it when you're private. And I also would not recommend necessarily uh, suggesting it while you're having sex. Do it at a time when you're both relaxed, you're spending some intimate time together. And start off slowly and say, this is something that I'm interested in trying. What do you think about it? Not, I'm going to get this, we're going to do this, because you're going to probably scare your partner, especially if you've never tried anything at all before. Now, let me ask you this, because I think a lot of people have, if you start raising uh, sex toys, surely their egos start mm. taking a bit of battering. Absolutely. and Oh, well, I mean, they shouldn't, but they do. No, they do. Why? Absolutely. Um, so research says that, um, in heterosexual relationships, men get far more pleasure from pleasuring their partner because it's like a big pat on the back. I got to do that and I, you know, I can make you p- experience pleasure and satisfaction in this way. So it's kind of taking a little bit of that away from him. It's kind of saying, well, now I, I want some added pleasure that you can't actually give me because you, you cannot compare a man, a man's hand, a man's mouth, a man's penis to a sex toy. They are completely different. Just as for a woman, her hand cannot be the same as a sex toy. So, yes, there is some threatening element of it. And it's about making your partner realize that it's not 
you using the sex toy is not because he's not good enough. It's because you just need a little bit extra that will bring that much more satisfaction to your mutual sexual experience. That's what's important about it. It's not well, saying sex he's toys not good. That both of you can use. Absolutely, it sounds like a completely no. naive somebody here. There's some great couple sex toys um, that essentially a woman will wear. Um, they sort of fit internally and externally and can be used while the partner penetrates her. So there are some great sex toys for couples to use together um, that can be very fun when used, you know, during sexual intercourse um, or during, um, you know, by herself. Oh, no, she's using it on her own. Exactly. And those are the pictures of them. Oh, dear. That little red oh, one. That's why I'm giggling. Vibe. I'm yep. getting slightly like... Um Blushy here. But it doesn't look like a sex toy. No, it doesn't. It actually just looks like a, a hair iron. You know, I, I, I That I, actually I joke, looks dangerous. I joke with my clients that if you left that on your bedside table and your cleaner was in that day, they would have no idea that it was a sex toy. It doesn't look like one. What would they think it was? I don't know, but it doesn't look like a sex toy. It looks toy. like a hair iron. Yeah, exactly. It looks very... And, you know, sex toys these days, I saw an amazing one the other day um, that bends. So it can be completely straight at a completely straight angle, or it can bend up into a curved shape, depending on what G-spot stimulation and what uh, clitoral stimulation you need. So what is this thing that looks like the hair iron? It's called a WeVibe. Very good couple's toy, and there are, there are a lot of other competitors out there with it as well. But um, it fits internally and externally into a woman, and then can be she can be penetrated at the same time. The first model was quite big and bulky, and they sort of, as again, they stretch out quite a bit but remain in that curved shape. But the new models are really, really tiny, really great, and they actually come with remote controls and motion sensor remote control. So if the partner shakes it in his hand, the vibrator will shake according to that motion. Now, Katriona, let me ask you this. How does a girl decide to become a sexologist? <laughs> um, I get this question. I prob- I I'm probably sure all the time, but it's kind of fascinating. No, absolutely. So uh, I'd say... Well, how did you introduce it to your parents? <laughs> so my parents are both medical and I kind of went the very academic medical oh, yeah. psychological route. So I think they're quite chuffed about it. Um, and I think, you know, I only realized when I was about 22 that I, this is what I wanted to do. And I, so I think they were just happy I'd found a career. But I was studying psychology and I had a lecture one day where they were talking about um, female sexual dysfunctions. And I'm a pretty well-educated woman, good background, and I've got well-educated friends. And we had never, ever heard of any of the female sexual dysfunctions, like anorgasmia, like vaginismus, which is a sexual pain disorder. Anorgasmia is the inability to orgasm. And it really upset me that I didn't know about these things. And were these things psychological or were they physiological? So they are what we would look at as biopsychosocial. So there can be a physiological cause for it, a psychological cause, and a social cause being your upbringing or negative of messages about sex or even your relationship which can cause any of these concerns. So yeah, I really started wanting to understand it more and I started working in the field and then I've just kind of taken off from there and I continue to go. <laughs> and so you did your master's in Sydney? So yeah, I did a master's at WITS um, in psychology here in South Africa and then I went off to Sydney because you can't study sexology um, at a master's sort of master's accredited master's level in South Africa. So you have to go international. So there are very few of us in the country, unfortunately. Yes. Well, fortunately, fortunately for, for us, unfortunately for anybody who wants to study it. So now, how, in in your observations, 
of the, 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 the categories of people who come in, what is the like sort of most common problem that people are like sort of raising? Sure. So with women, the most. Is it vaginismus? Okay. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So with women, I'd say the top three, the top three things, but the number one is, um, complete loss of interest in sex. Just no interest, not thinking about it, not interested in having sex with a partner and um, are only really doing it to kind of, doing it because their partner wants it to kind of meet needs, if you Mm. would. Then the next I see is women who can't climax. They struggle with climaxing. And then the third is very often vaginismus, um, which is a sexual pain disorder. And then with men, I'm seeing guys who climax too quickly with premature ejaculation. So that's the average it takes for a guy to climax is three to five minutes. I often get emails from guys saying, oh, I can only last 10, 15 minutes. And I'm like, that's amazing. (laughs) Well done. Good for you. No, three to five minutes is the average. So Anything consistently below three minutes that is causing him distress and where he's climaxing before he wants to, that's premature ejaculation. And then erectile dysfunction in men as well, which is very common and not just in 50 plus men, in young guys as well. Mm. And these all have a, they could have a physiological component, a psychological component and a social component. I work predominantly with the the psychosocial stuff. I have the knowledge of the medical stuff, Mm. but I work very closely with a sexual health physician who does the examinations and prescriptions and anything like that on the medical side if we need that. Whilst we're on the subject of losing, like the, let's talk about the primary, the Mm. first, the first group of ladies who've now lost complete interest. Complete interest. So common. Do do you believe that this like female Viagra (laughs) is like a thing? No, absolutely not. I was on the, I was on a pharmaceutical board for the development of this pill. Yeah. It's called Fulbanserin. And I, I don't know how many times I could tell them that there is no way you can bottle the mental side of female desire and arousal. And it keeps getting rejected by the FDA in the States because they can't do it. You can do things to increase arousal on a physical level. So, you know, more lubrication or feeling happier or, you know, dopamine and serotonin being sorted out and hormones and things like that. But if a woman doesn't feel like sex mentally, if she's not in it, she's not in it. And it's very difficult to bottle that. Very, very difficult. So interesting. It's interesting. But why is it possible to bottle it for a man? Because men are more physiologically responsive than women. So generally, I mean, the reason why Viagra has been so popular, other than it's given men really rock hard erections, is that even if How he long doesn't, do those erections last? So it depends if what it depends what you're using. <laughs> More than three to five minutes is that? Oh, no, absolutely, much <laughs> okay. longer than that. So there are different pills, and different pills have longer half lives and things like that. Yeah. But it's not healthy for a man to have an erection for longer than a few hours, because it's going to start um, damaging his um, blood vessels, and the blood flow is going to cause serious issues. So well, it's like that woman who had the permanent orgasm. Mm-hmm. Yep, I exactly. mean, that was a thing. Yeah, there's actually a condition called persistent genital arousal disorder that I've just written a paper on with a colleague um, where women are constantly in a state of arousal. Have you met somebody like that? Yeah, I've seen a couple of clients like that. And um, it's it's extremely distressing. And orgasm actually helps decrease it, but it doesn't help take it away. So, yeah, that's a it's a genuine condition, arousal condition. And the fact that like sort of somebody would take a pill to create this mm. ongoing is like terrible. Yeah, it's not necessarily it? terrible. <laughs> I suppose it's lusting after eternal bliss or whatever you want to call it. But for men, you know, Viagra is so popular because even if he doesn't feel like it, he can still take a pill and have a rock hard erection and have sex. 
Um, but with women, it's much more difficult. And yeah. I often say to women, you don't have to feel like sex to have sex because often if we go into a sexual experience neutral, you might develop that desire and that arousal for it when you're in it. But it's when it's getting constantly frustrating for you that you have to have sex or it's anxiety provoking or you just would rather be washing the dishes than having sex with your partner then it's starting to become a concern any part of this could be as a result of like all this like sort of like it's i call it like the pornification of society sure it's just so much sex sex, sex everywhere sex everywhere mm, exactly that like in People may just be like reacting negatively to so much sex, just going, actually, oh. Well, the problem is it kind of um, really perpetuates myths. And, you know, a lot of guys, their first sexual stimulation is pornography. Mm. So they think that women have screaming orgasms and want to have sex all over the house and in every orifice and things like that. And women watch love stories where they think that a couple lies together for 10 or five, 5 or so minutes and then she has a screaming orgasm. So yeah. that's not actually true. It's so far from the truth. That is the exception, not the rule. So, yeah, I do think that this pornification of society hasn't helped people's um, confidence when it comes to sex. A lot of people say, am I normal that, that I didn't want sex last night or two weeks ago? Yes, of course it's normal. You shouldn't yeah, because want it people every day. Are like kind of like seriously, you know, there's that whole thing, like you should be having sex every day. Or mm. Is there like a number? And then I'm going to ask a question that a, re, uh, a listener has. Sure. So the, the number of the average that stats has given us is, is that two to three times a week is the average that long-term couples have sex. However, what I say to couples is really please try not aim for quantity, rather aim for quality. Mm. Because if you are having a very, very pleasurable, satisfying sexual experience once a week, that's far better than pretty average sex three times a week. You rather want to be extremely satisfied and feel that that satisfaction will last long after than just, oh, yeah, it was sex because we had sex. Mm -hmm. So it's the quality over the quantity. So um, the anonymous listener is asking, did you see how I did that? Because usually (laughs) I go... So-and-so yes, exactly. no, is asking and then they're like, no, for God's sake, I, tell, I wanted it anonymous. I always tell people that you can have a friend if you want because yes. we all have friends. So if your friend has a problem, I'm happy to okay, answer so it. The, the anonymous um, listener is saying, when could we clinically say that someone is a sex a- addict and how can you actually curb it? So... Clinically, how do we look at a sex addiction or diagno- diagnostically assess a sex addiction? It's very similar to any other addiction, so alcohol, drugs, um, medication, anything like that. So when it is interfering with your daily functioning, your day-to-day life, and interfering in your relationship, and when it's causing you distress. Mm. So if we've got a guy who feels he's addicted to sex or masturbation and he's masturbating 10 times a day and he's having to walk out of the office every half an hour to go to the bathroom, yeah, it happens, it, it, and it really is interfering interfering with his daily life, then he's got a problem. There's a cause for concern. If um, somebody also feels very anxious um, unless they have sex, like sex is the fix, if you would, it's the addiction, then again, we've got a cause for concern. But the two things that we're really interested in are, is it is it impairing your daily functioning and is it causing you distress? And then how to curb it? We treat it. Sex addictions can be treated very much like other addictions. They can use 12-step programs. Um, psychotherapy is very important for a sex addiction. So do and you just stop having sex when no, you're cured? No, no, no. Because absolutely. certainly with like 
you know, Alcoholics Anonymous sure, or Narcotics Anonymous. Stop that stuff. We have to change the perceptions of it. So why is it that you need to seek out this sort of fix all the time? What is it about this fix? Because we don't want to stop you having sex. We want you to have sex for the right reasons when you want it, not because you feel like literally if you don't compelled. do it. Compelled. Literally if you don't do it, it's the world is going to fall down or you, you're you just not going to cope. So we're trying to shift your perceptions about it. We look a lot at your at your thoughts and how your thoughts are affecting your behavior. Mm. That's what psychotherapy would do. But a 12-step program is actually quite quite beneficial with the sex addiction. What is a 12 st- I mean what are the 12 steps of a 12 step? Oh my god, I could, I, oh, I could not list them all for you in this point. I don't I don't work with sex okay. addictions. Um but the yeah, the 12 steps that you have to go through it's similar that How um, would you know that like somebody came to see you and they weren't uh, would you refer them to somebody else? Yeah, I'd probably refer them. I feel that that's work more for a clinical psychologist. Yeah. Um, look, I, I have worked with them in the past and I'm, I'm actually going to do some work now soon with a, a clinic in London that works specifically with sex addictions. Um, because I am very interested in becoming uh, more specialized in it. But I feel that I, it's, it's more work for a clinical psychologist, a psychiatrist or, um, a sexologist who specializes in it at the moment. Cause my specialty at the moment is sexual dysfunctions. I see. Mm. Okay, but somebody is asking, what is average sex? <laughs> oh, what is average sex? So average sex is, is sex that you just don't find that satisfying. It was just sex. It was just kind of didn't do that much for you. It was, you know, a bit boring or a bit not for you. There wasn't, didn't really turn you on that much. You just had it because you had it. There's, it's the mutual satisfaction that I'm interested in. And, and when I say that, I don't just mean climaxing or getting an erection or getting aroused. People so often focus on that as the performance aspect of sex. Mm. Mutually satisfying sex is, is emotional too. It's sensual too. It's erotic. You know, the, we very often, as a sexologist, I talk to my clients about three different types of sex. Mm. We talk about erotic sex, playful sex, and loving sex. And very often in long-term relationships, couples are having loving sex or playful sex, but the erotic goes out of it. So mutually satisfying would be two or three of those types of sex where you really feel like, oh, that was amazing. I cannot wait till the next time. Or, oh, that really did it for me. I'm exhausted and I need to sleep for two days. <laughs> so it's that kind of sex that really just, it just puts the on switch for you and just turns you on immensely and brings you a lot of satisfaction. That's what not average sex would be. <laughs> <laughs> that would be answering the next question, which oh, really? was what is amazing sex? What is amazing sex? So amazing sex, I mean, it's different for everybody. Mm. So it is. It's that mutually satisfying sexual experience experience. Women report that they don't need to climax to feel satisfied during sex and a lot of partners and women will put pressure on themselves to always, always, always reach climax. But they can get a lot of satisfaction from being sexual with their partner. Yeah. So um, what is great mind-blowing sex? It's very dependent on you, what you like, what you don't like. And if you and your partner are in tune with one another, if you can speak the same sexual language or your erotic intel- intelligence as we speak about it is, is sort of the equal, same. the same. You both want that whip. You b- exactly. In the same way. You both want that sex store. You both <laughs> want that whip and you get so much satisfaction from doing we're it. We're going to have a little song and then we're going to come back. If you want to get hold of us, uh, we are on 0861 
or contact us on Twitter at cliffcentral.com. Facebook, Cliff Central. WeChat ID, Cliff Central. And to send a message to us on WeChat, just tap connect and then go message show, MSG2 show. Please do so. Um, Catriona, this very morning, I read the most ridiculous thing um, in the Times. It was that um, adultery website, mm-hmm. Ashley Madison. They were saying that, like, they have this huge spike of people picking up, like, sort of entries or I don't know what you do on, on Ashley Madison. Do you pick up an entry? Do you subscribe? Find a partner. Find a partner after Mother's Day. And I was like, really? So, like, on Mother's Day, you get the little presents from your little sprockets. Well, maybe, maybe you're not getting the presents and you're not getting the appreciation. <laughs> yeah, know. who knows? Uh, but but I think for me, when I was thinking about it, um what could be driving this is that perhaps they're just bored being yeah, mothers. Possible. You know, that a lot of, um, I remember when Fifty Shades of Grey first came out, um, the, one of the things people were saying, it was like housewives in the Midwest in the U.S. were thrilled about this because it was finally something exciting. You know, it wasn't just 2.4 kids, a picket fence and a Labrador. It was something really thrilling and a fantasy. And, yeah, I think um, I think maybe it is a bit of excitement. It's that fan- it's maybe fantastical Maybe it was that part that you were saying, like the three pillars of sex. What yeah. was it? Erotic, erotic, erotic. Um, playful and loving. And that, like, if you've been in the loving for, like, maybe mm. 10 years, you're just bored. It, well, absolutely. I mean, very often when I see clients, they're the t- I ask them, I say, what happens when you have sex? And I say, is it the same thing every time? And when I say the same thing, I mean, do you generally follow the same progressions, your sexual script? Are you mm. rehearsing the same lines over and over again? And they say, yeah. So I actually have to get them to change the way they have sex because it's now boring. How do you do that? Oh, we go right Other back to the Other than having to join... Ashley Madison. <laughs> <laughs> we'll introduce sex toys. No, we go right back to the beginning and we actually get them to stop focusing so much on a goal and start focusing on, or stop focusing on the destination and start focusing on the journey. And so we get them to do exercises um, that are called sensate focus where it's sort of touch exercises, erotic massage exercises, pleasure exercises. Those are the things we get them to focus on. That's important. People forget about that so often. Now, a lot of people like sort of fixate on their psychologists. Mm. What do they call that? Well, what, their therapists? Yeah, yeah, not Stockholm Syndrome. But no, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm they not call sure. it a different thing, but they sort of fall in love. Like they, you know, there was that. They idealize their they psychologists idealize. a bit. Do you, has that happened to you as a sexologist? No, people don't really love seeing me. Um, I have had a client tell me that she was more scared of me than she was of the dentist. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, when people come and see me, they are sitting down in front of a stranger and then telling me the details of their sex life. And I'm trying to help them change whatever it is that they're concerned about. So, no, I don't think that happens, um, but um, I'm, yeah, you never know what might happen. <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> but generally, people don't love seeing me because they have to talk about a very sensitive private topic. And let me ask you this. Are you in a relationship yourself? No, I'm not in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> but because I imagine it might be tricky for a young man to like, or a young woman. I mean, uh, let me not like, you know. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. We are like having the referendum in um, yeah. <laughs> Ireland now. But I imagine your partner might find it like sort of 
Do you think they might like go, oh my goodness, get, she knows everything about sex. Uh, no, I get that question all the time Which, as well. Yes. I have to laugh. No, so I was... Sorry, um, I'm no, all the boring questions. No, it's not boring, I promise you. Um, so essentially, my answer to that is, well, I don't really, I'm not really interested in, in a partner who's intimidated by me or who is thinks that all I do is my job and that's who I am. Mm. So I, I want to be with somebody who knows that that's, I'm a, you know, outside of my job. I leave that at work and I'm a different person. Sure, I've studied the body. I've studied the physiological responses. I teach this. Yeah, sure, I might know more than the average person based on that, but it doesn't affect who I am. Have you been watching Masters and Johnson? Or Masters of called Sex. The Masters of Sex. Of course, of course. They pioneered our field. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a great show. And is it like truth to the... It's a little bit fabricated here and there, but, yeah, but got in, terms of, in terms of the love story, but... Um, no, we don't. Oh, no, okay. caller. What a pity. <laughs> but no, it's a bit fabricated in terms of the story of them, but what they did and the research that they were doing, that is is pretty true and accurate. It was groundbreaking in our field. We it don't do that anymore much, but it's just groundbreaking. <laughs> no, you don't like stick. Watch like, people of, have sex. Yeah. No, and <laughs> people think I, up people's vaginas. No, and people no, think I do that for No, that's all happening on the internet. Yes, anyway. exactly. You can just get that on your cell phone. <gasps> yeah. Um, here is my question from another listener who is going, what is the truth about sex? This is a, that's a mysterious yeah, question. It's a bit of a philosophical and then we'll take, question. Then we'll take the caller. Okay, so it's a bit of a philosophical question, but I think the truth about sex should rather be what is your truth about sex. Um, your truth about sex is influenced by many, many different things. It is influenced by your parents' relationship. Did they talk to you about sex? What sex did you get? What sexual experiences have you had? What relationships have you been in? Your truth is affected by a lot of different things. But the truth about sex, I think if we look at sex as a whole, people just think of it as as, as an act. They think of it as sexual intercourse, as penetration. Mm. But the truth about sex goes much deeper than that. It involves eroticism, playfulness. It involves intimacy, love. There is so much more to it than what most people just think. Um, and so, so it's not like when you were a teenager, get to first base, second base. No, no, no. <laughs> well, that might be your truth. I mean, <laughs> that may be well. <laughs> you may have gone through, followed through the steps, you know, step by step because that's what you wanted to do. And somebody may have just skipped all of the steps and gone to home run and had sex the first time they were ever intimate with somebody. So your truth, I think, is, is, is affected or not affected, is, is influenced by whatever you've experienced in your life. But then people need to look past just the act of it and look at it, what it is in the greater picture and what it brings you in a relationship or as an individual. Now let's take this caller who has patiently Hello. been waiting. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hi. Um, are you going to take the call? We're taking you. You're live. Oh, hello. This is Michael Shane. I'm coming from Olivedale. Fabulous. And I'm listening at the moment to the to the call to to, to Central. And I do have a question for Catriona. Is that how I say no? Absolutely. That is Catriona. Say my name. Say my name, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm okay, teasing. Um, so, what I'm, I heard um, Masters and Johnson mentioned yes. in a famous book. Yes. And I just have a very broad philosophical or, or, or broad question to ask you around human sexuality in general. Okay. Um, are you aware of the book Sex at Dawn? Yes. By Chris Ryan yes, I'm aware of it. I haven't read it yet. It's actually you on my Kindle. It's on okay, my Kindle. My question would be around what you think of that. What do, oh, yeah. It seems to be a paradigm breaking. Uh, idea around 
human sexuality in general. Yeah. So, no, as I said, it's it's on my Kindle, and uh, I've got it to read as soon as I've, I've finished my current book on cognitive behavioral therapy. But I, I have heard about it, and, you know, the, the theory and ideas of human sexuality are constantly evolving. Um, and Masters and Johnson focused on sexual behavior. Um, it was really Kinsey, Alfred Kinsey, who focused on human sexuality and developed what's called the Kinsey scale, which rates us from completely heterosexual to completely homosexual. And there's varying degrees on the scale. So mm-hmm. if you are interested in guys and girls, you'd be smack bang in the middle of the scale. And if you if you think if you're let's say you're a guy and you uh, you are attracted to girls but you kind of, you know, can appreciate a good-looking guy, you might be on a little bit closer to the middle of the scale. So theories of human sexuality are constantly developing and it's it's very fluid. I don't believe that we are all constantly one or the other. Mm. There's complete transition and fluidity in our sexuality at any time of our lives. Um, right. Um, yes, if, I, if I can get just back to Chris Ryan's book or, or his talk too on TED, which is excellent. Um, he goes a step further and he suggests that in early humans we were very much more promiscuous but in a sort of group bonding way, which then takes the paradigm even further. It kind of stretches and I just want, I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll, I'll tweet you the same question again and wait for your response once you've read the book. Yes, I, I really appreciate that. And I will definitely get to reading the book then. And we can even yeah, put it into the Marie Claire. Then you can read the Marie Claire, Michael. <laughs> I'll do that as well, yes. And uh, I'm really enjoying the book. Thanks very much. Thank and you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Cheerio. Bye. Thanks, Michael. But I, I mean, it's quite interesting, this thing that Michael's raising, because I've often wondered, you know, if you lived in, say, do we actually have, I mean, we make a lot of theories about what was happening in prehistoric mm. society. They were specifically relating to our paleobanting yes, exactly <laughs> eating habits. And so to me, I was wondering, like, what happened? How did they have sex? Because, I mean, if everyone was living in a cave... You know, were there private moments or was it necessary? It was quite different. And I was like thinking about, I mean, I just finished reading about Queen Mary, Mary Queen of Scots. Mm. And it was typical for women, her women, you know, her ladies in waiting. Mm. Some of them slept in bed with her every night. Mm -hmm. And this was just considered absolutely normal. And I mean, if you look at art, art often depicts, you know, women, women touching each other and men touching men, women touching men. And, you know, and that goes way so, back to so the Renaissance is, era. It is quite like interesting. I think we probably had a much more communal idea yeah. of how we behaved publicly. Sure. Maybe. And I mean, yet now it's become like quite a private. Mm, it, it, well, yes and no. I mean, it depends on the society. But interesting, there's a, there was a, um, well, sort certainly of, not those Cindy, Sydney bondage people that you, <laughs> no. they, they kind of like a public. Yes, but I exactly. think that there is this like sort of idea that it's vaguely private, but now yeah. we're also starting to send pictures of ourselves to everybody. Yep. And that's, that's like, Maybe it's not that scandalous. I mean, I know in, 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 in the UK, they're having a whole furubal about mm. teenagers sending pictures to each other, but actually it sounds pretty normal to me. Mm, yeah. If you think about the long trajectory of history. No, exactly. I mean, interestingly, um, I can think of a fetish in particular that I'm thinking of. Um, in the Victorian era, when a wife was unfaithful to her husband, she was called, a, called a cuckold. Hmm. Um, nowadays, cuckolding is actually a fetish where a man will Ask his wife or He was called a cuckold 
He, sorry, no, she yeah. is. He was called a cuckold. Sorry. So now a man will ask, these days, a man will ask his wife to, to have sex with another man in front of him. That's called cuckolding. It's a fetish, but that comes from the Victorian era when there was a, when there was adultery and, you know, the man was a cuckold. So you think, you know, things What's change. What does the word cuckold actually mean? I don't I think, know. I, think I don't know what it means. I just know that that's where it comes from. And, um, yeah, I think sex, the reasons why we have sex has changed a lot. You know, with the baby boom, there was mm-hmm. the reason why people were having sex was to have babies after the war. And, um, you know, uh, Masters and Johnsons were studying it and cavemen were having it it was ev- if we look at it from an evolutionary perspective there are different reasons why we have sex i often ask my clients that why, why do you have sex oh no because we love each other okay what else oh because we want to have kids okay what else there are many 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 reasons why people can have sex and i think it's a keep evolving i think maybe also the sexual revolution kind of like sort of changed those parameters i think that's why it's such a fascinating subject Absolutely. now because obviously before you had sex just pretty dangerous. You could end up pregnant pretty quickly. Sure, you sure. can still end up pregnant pre- pretty quickly, mm. but it kind of removed the pull, removed the fear. Yep, absolutely. But I mean, even another interesting fact is um, there's recently been an epidemic of STIs, that's sexually transmitted mm. infections, in old age homes. Yes. Because they're at an age where they don't care anymore and they just don't think they have to and they don't think that perhaps the disease is a problem or the infection AIDS, is a problem. And AIDS, yep, and AIDS, AIDS absolutely. Dying you know, like in, flies in those old age homes. Exactly, those, you know, <laughs> included in STIs. So, yeah, exactly. But the let pill, me tell you the most shocking story. I mean, go for it. they have not, the, these, these old folks have not given up the like sexual ghost they still feel like very yeah. avid sexual creatures even though they really probably belong behind a zimmer frame that is not a constraint because i was no. in the queue at the airport and shuffling along we were shuffling along behind a shuffly old man but the queue was like very slow and he said would i like to go ahead of him i said no what's the point we're moving very slowly and he took this as an opportunity for conversation, but he rapidly went into, it was the most like sort of sexually explicit story. <laughs> <laughs> like, excuse me, like we're standing in the queue and you are telling me these things. I was like, what? He was having so much fun. I'm sure. Telling me an outrageous story, which I will not lie to you. Concluded with, and then he put it in, and I was like, "What? <laughs> he put it in?" <laughs> right then, he said, mm, "I haven't heard that story since I was fifteen. I was like, "I'll bet," <laughs> but now that is seventy years later, you should not be repeating that story in the queue. Well, no, not to a total stranger, unless he was trying to listen to a response from you. But people think that old, old, uh, older people don't have sex. Total lie. People think that when you when you turn a certain age, you stop having sex. Total lie. Sex, the type of sex you have just changes. Well, here's the, did you read that case about the people in the States? He was a Republican um, legislator and had, you know, they people get married late in life to their second or third spouse. So, but his spouse, who was his second or third wife, subsequently developed Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And so she was in like sort of, finally they had to put her in the home. Then he was there, obviously having sex with her. And apparently, Alzheimer's. Mm. When you're having Alzheimer's, yep. it's the you last can't consent. You can't consent. Mm. Well, it's but not informed consent. It's not informed consent. Mm. But nevertheless, so this That's upset. Very difficult, sure. The the it upset the family essentially. Who after she died, 
her kids then sued him. Sure. But what was interesting for me was in the research that people had done about this, they mm. said that sex is one of the last things that you forget and that it was still bringing this old lady, despite the fact that she had like full-blown dementia mm-hmm. and couldn't remember her name, mm-hmm. let alone, you know, her nose. Mm. But she could remember the joy of sex and that people having sex who have Alzheimer's are increasingly calm afterwards. Like they're just much better. And I thought that is because it's a very primal thing. Yeah, it may be due to the release of chemicals and hormones when you have sex. Um, I'm not sure. I'd have to look into it. But that sounds very, very interesting. And I'm sure it has something to do with that. And then, you know, that connection that a person shares with their partner, it could be something to do with that as but well. But she still remembered that. Yeah, very interesting. And yet... I mean, obviously, it was quite upsetting for people. because I think that's a very, very fine line, and it's a blurred fine line, you know. Um, and it, exactly, it's about the informed consent that's uh, that's the concern. So mm. that's a very difficult situation. It was interesting to me. Mm. I found it fascinating. No, I'd look up that study. I think it's fascinating. As, as they were, you know, on your last legs, mm. so to speak. Mm. You can have <laughs> sex literally until the day you die. You literally can. <laughs> And and certainly with men, obviously they can also like sort of continue to have babies until their day. Yes, they everyone thinks that just because a guy is sixty or seventy, you can't have children. That's not true. No, you can totally have sex until the day he dies. About Picasso, exactly. And that you know is bringing us to the dying embers of our very show. Mm, went but so fast. It did go so fast. Not three to five minutes fast, but pretty <laughs> fast. <laughs> I thought you said that was average, Catriona. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I just said that was the length of time. It can still be mind-blowing in three to five minutes. Uh, uh, I am going to now say goodbye because it is time for that. You've been listening to Between Two Femmes. There have been, in fact, two femmes, yeah? Mm. And some very interesting callers. Um, We are with you every Thursday from one to two. And... We hope that you join us next week when Mubsy is back. And this is Cliff Central. And we are playing out with Blurred Lines. Unreal. Uncensored. Uncensored.